Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans, too. So get over to PacoCollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had. And don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You all know how excited I am about Worked Up Camp, and I hope you're excited too. Working spots are full, but we've still got plenty of room for auditors. The camp is in Port Orchard, Washington, and it is September 28th through September 30th. It's going to be a ton of fun, lots of learning, really great community, and I can't wait. So hop over on the both the Cog Dog Radio and the Cognitive Canine Facebook pages have information on camp, and you can always join the camp event page. Just search for Worked Up Camp, and you'll find it, and you can get all the details there as well. So I hope to see you at camp. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine. This is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm here with Dr. Leslie Ide again um, to talk a little bit about sports medicine. I recently did a call out on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page asking what you guys want to hear about, and a lot of you are asking little old me veterinarian questions. I'm not a veterinarian, but Leslie is, so here she is. Um, one of the and hi Leslie. Hi. <laughs> Used to doing this by myself. So, hi. How hi. are you today? Welcome to the podcast. I'm hungry. Yeah, you always are. <laughs> yeah. Um, Leslie's a veterinarian and also a CCRT, which is a certified canine rehab therapist. Good. She's nodding to indicate I got that correct. She's also pursuing board certification in rehab and sports medicine um, and is also an agility competitor. Yep. And a former collegiate athlete, too. So, have a big background in sports medicine. Um, so, we're going to dive right in. Do you think sports injuries and agility dogs are actually on the rise? So, that's a really interesting question. And I'm sure your listeners wanted, like, an easy yes-no answer. I mean, um, if they listen to me, they're probably used to never getting, never a getting yes, no that answer, kind of answer. So okay, good. Because, you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure people are like, I want to hear yes, so I can be like, yeah, see, I was right. Or no. Um, so, you know, do we see more sports injuries? Yes. 
statistically is it on the rise that's where it's really complicated and i don't think we've been um actually keeping track of things to know for sure um but one thing i can say is there's definitely a lot more dogs doing agility now than there were even five ten years ago so yeah numbers wise we're gonna see more injuries but percentage wise has the percentage of injuries really gone up that's um that's what we don't really know and i can't say oh yes we're definitely seeing more percentage wise um the other thing to think about too is you know sports medicine in the canine field is relatively new it's probably one of the newest specialties out there and so you know as a veterinarian we've gotten more and more in tune with looking at the canine athletes and and actually trying to diagnose minor injuries so were those potentially going on beforehand and we didn't know about them yes that's also true you know a lot of people would say um you know my dog limped for a couple days and then they seemed fine and i went back so is that really a sports injury we don't know whereas nowadays you know they limp you take them into a sports medicine veterinarian and they can say oh yeah you have a grade one muscle strain and then you know suddenly you you claim your dog has a sports injury so which is different from kind of more back in the day you went to your general practice veterinarian yeah, and they were the like oh just and rest said, them and you know create rest and NSAIDs yeah and it was better in two weeks and you went back to agility and it was no big deal so um you know so there there's a lot of differences of of looking at it numbers wise to say are there more injuries you know the other thing that's also popping up that we'd have to take into account into account is you know the access to social media you know back even like i said 10 years ago you know if you were living in florida and someone in california had a dog um that ha- sustained an injury and agility you probably wouldn't know about it mm. um you know and nowadays everything gets posted on um facebook or or instagram or snapchat and you know oh so-and-so's dog is injured and then you spread that to 10 of your friends and you know the word gets uh, around and so we're hearing more and more about sports injuries but you know does that actually mean there are more of them I don't know um I mean I can tell you from personal experience I had a dog um you know who in let's see it was probably 2007 2008 sustained what I would consider a sports injury to a toe and the only people who knew about it were my veterinarian and people I worked with like maybe my local agility trainer you know I didn't sit down and put it on Facebook and advertise it and you know and honestly don't know how she got the injury was it related to agility maybe um was it related to just running in the backyard possibly so you know she had to take some time off of agility to let her toe heal but you know that was it so 
So it's it's really a complicated question, and I think you know what it all comes boils down to is a lot of people want to blame certain things about agility um, and say that that's what's causing the injuries. And I I think what are that's some of those things? the wrong way to go. You know, you hear about it. Um, you know, I will backsides is the number one. That probably. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I hear about constantly, and I and I in. Or just it's, international course design in, in general, internet, maybe? maybe. But, you know, true international course design, I don't think does. Like the I Americanized, think yeah, the, just put a backside in there. Yeah, kind of like, yeah. you know, not really looking at um, the dog, the size of the dog, the size of the dog's strides, and and creating a crunchy course. Um, I also, I hate the word crunchy, so I can't believe I just used it, but, um. You hate it in general or in reference to agility? Just in reference to (laughs) to agility. Like, everyone's, oh, you know, I'm crunching my dog through it. And I'm like, you know, honestly, part of it is training. You know, don't sign up for an international style course unless that's what you train for. Um, because I do think that's really a big part of it. Um, yes, dogs can be injured anywhere on course, but if you're trying to do something that you haven't trained them to do, it is going to be more jerky and potentially, um, confusing to the dog and therefore they won't move as smoothly, um, and can potentially, um, create problems. Um, you know, asking for the dogs to go faster is also something else um, that I a lot of, you know, go faster, turn tighter is really being looked down upon. But, you know, that's really the basics of any competitive sport. Um, yep. You know, we're always looking for more efficient faster ways to do things you know especially in time sports um you know I think about things like um you know downhill skiing even swimming track you know you're always working on ways to be more efficient to be tighter um to be faster you know that's part of being a sport you know and if if that's not what you're doing agility for then that's that's fine you don't need to work on it but um again you know trial how you train don't suddenly go out there and say oh you know I want this really tight turn um if if that's not something you do on a regular basis in training and we don't get to just say first of all we don't really get to say dogs are getting hurt more because we don't know that for sure and we also don't get to say they're getting hurt because we want them to turn tighter, run faster. Because we also don't know that for sure. And that is the nature of competition and the nature of sports. And so maybe instead of saying turning tight equals bad, running fast equals bad, we should look more at our training. Yes. And be sure that the dogs are prepared physically and mentally to do what it is we're asking them to do. Correct. So... Let's switch gears just a little because this is a big topic for me. I don't know, you know, none of us know if more dogs are getting injured. But because of social media, we know about more injured dogs. 
and we know about what people go through a little bit more to get them back to sport. And we know of way too many dogs, I think, that never return or, or can't return to the same level of competitiveness that they were at. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because in your practice, in your treatment of athletes, your goal is to help the owner achieve what their goal is when they walk in the door. And so are you seeing dogs that return to sports successfully after injury? And if you are, you know, what, basically what can people do to try to ensure that their goals are actually going to get met in their treatment process? Because I think people are afraid to yeah. even try. They're yeah. afraid to even they, go there. They, a lot of people, you know, and that's okay. That might be your choice of like, we've had this injury, the sport's not, you know, that big a part of my life that it's okay to retire from it. Yeah. Um, you know, we definitely see that in human athletics too. I knew plenty of people um, in my athletic days that as soon as they got a minor shoulder injury, you know, they they didn't love swimming enough to say, I'm going to work through this. They said, you know, cool. I want it to heal so I can get through my day-to-day life, but swimming's not that important, so I'm going to stop. I'm going to focus on something else. We've talked about that with some of our own dogs. Like, Iggy's nine and a half, and she's great. She had her first kind of very super minor injury. She had her first injury of her whole career, her whole life, recently. Um, And it was really, really minor. But when we discussed it, I mean, I said if this turns out to be a bigger deal than we think it is and she's going to need a lot of big treatment for it. I mean, I had said, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to go through all of that to return a nine and a half year old dog to sport. I'm going to get her to where she can hike forever. Yeah. And that's all I care about. So versus like Felix is three. And if he got hurt tomorrow, I'd probably want to pull out of the stops. Yeah. Yeah. So a big part for me is not just, you know, what exercises or what treatment can we do? It's, it's sitting down with, um, you know, your, your owner, your client and saying, okay, let's actually have a discussion about expectations and what's realistic and what's not. And, you know, even if we get back to sport, what should your expectations be in the sport? Um, so I think that's really important. And I, I do think that's a hard component for some people to grasp because there are different levels you know just going in and saying oh I do agility doesn't really tell me a lot of information you know I want to know kind of you know why you do agility and and what what kind of participant you are to better be able to guide you in the recovery process and so expectations are really important to me and and one of the biggest things is a lot of the bigger injuries that we hear about um these days um you know uh, cruciate tears or shoulder injuries it's really important to realize that the dog probably 
is never going to be a hundred percent. You know, I think that's a false expectation. Um, that does not mean they can't return to sport. And that does not mean they can't return to sport at a high level of competitiveness. It just means that you need to take care of your dog a little bit different after they've had an injury. You still need to be aware of that. Um, you need to be aware that their body is a little bit different. It's not the same body they were born with. So um, that's really important part of expectation. The other part that um, is really important with return to sport is that there's kind of levels of, of clearances. And this may not make sense to people who haven't been through an injury, especially like uh, an injury that required surgery. Um, but oftentimes, as you go through your recovery process, the surgeon gives you an all clear. What the surgeon is saying is basically, it's healed. And what I find is a lot of people take that all clear and and take it as that means I can return to my sport. And what you, truly what they mean is I, I repaired the problem and then the surgery healed. Right. And that's all that means. Yeah. And okay. now you need to do basically rehabilitation therapy to bridge that gap of the dog is healed and return to sport. So uh, that's another really clear expectation that I like to set up with people who've gone through surgery. You know, if you if it takes eight weeks for a bone to heal, you know, that's eight weeks that you were hopefully doing rehabilitation therapy, but you weren't doing your athletic training. So it's like a marathon oh, yeah. runner, you know, taking two months off, eight weeks of not running at all. You know, as soon as the surgeon says, okay, you're healed, you're clear to run, they're not going to go right back out and run a marathon. They're going to start running easy and try and build back up. So, yes, they were doing their exercises during that time, but they weren't running. So I think that's a really important um, distinguishment that you have to that you have to see is like, you know, someone, a surgeon, whoever may say, okay, it's going to take X number of weeks to heal or X number of months to heal. That's not your return to sport date. That's your healing date. Now we need to work on getting get your body you back, back to, to sport. Yeah, get your body and, back to where it was when yeah, you were competing and because you took all that time off. Yeah, and so that's where you have to, you know, and, and it, it should move fairly fast because hopefully your dog didn't lose a lot of conditioning during their healing, but it still needs to take time. You need to take that time to get them ready. Um, so for me, you know, typically when I talk to like uh, cruciate tears, post-op cruciate tears, I'm telling them, you know, I wouldn't plan on being back at a competition for six months after the surgery. You know, we may end up a little bit earlier, but you know, we may not. Um, you know, Two of those and that's months not are six months of rest. Right, that's six months of work. It's of work. You know, yeah. <laughs> two of those months are healing. Um, another month of like getting back your 
your cardio um, fitness, your stamina, your endurance that we've lost. And then, you know, potentially another three months working on your return to sport exercises. Like I said, you know, depending on, you know, the type of uh, competitor you are, it may be a little different. And that's, again, where I really want to sit down and and know your expectations and what you want to be able to do. Um, And maybe we'll get back a little sooner. Maybe, maybe not. Um, So that's that's where I think um, you were missing a little bit of that that piece of knowledge with sports medicine and returning dogs back from an injury. I think a lot of times they go back um, too soon because of course the dog isn't going to tell us, oh, this I'm really sore or I'm tired, right? They're excited. They're like, oh my God, I haven't done this for so long. I just want to go out and yeah, do it again. for sure. And then what would you say about, because I recently had a conversation with somebody um, who had worked really, really hard for a year on rehab and the dog was never actually able to return to sport without recurring lameness. And that's, I know more than one person to whom this has happened. And sometimes I wonder, was there a misdiagnosis? Did we go? And I, of course you can't state for sure what has happened, but, um, I was listening to another podcast recently, the Fenzy Dog Sports Academy podcast, um, was talking to Sue Yanoff, who is a boarded uh, rehab vet who teaches a class for Fenzy Academy. And she um, and she was just talking about the fact that um, if things aren't getting better, it's never a bad idea to reconsider your diagnosis. Definitely. Um, I mean, there is. But again, I always, we have to say what right. is better. I always question things, right? If there there's continued symptoms, yes, you have to say, okay, did did we actually treat the the correct problem? Um, because sometimes, again, because dogs can't really tell you, oh, this this is where it hurts. Um, sometimes what we find is a secondary issue and, and we've never found the primary cause. So we mm. treat the secondary issue and that gets sure. better, but the primary cause is always there kind of, um, chron- becoming a chronic persistent injury. So that's definitely something, you know, to, to, look for um the other thing though to realize is is that like i said you know having this expectation of returning to 100 percent after injury i think is a little bit of a false expectation you know when a professional athlete um returns from whether acl surgery or you know some some kind of injury there's often continued um discomfort after you know even though technically is every everything's healed and they've done all their physical therapy you know they still manage that injury they're still taking care of it when they're whether they're training or competing um you know whether it actually hurts or doesn't hurt um you know after a game they're gonna ice you know they're Mm -hmm. going to do things to take care of it 
consistently. They're not just just going to say, well, the doctor said it was all better, so I'm not going to do anything about it. Um, you know, they've, they've probably been given a different um, strength program to, to help manage it. You know, they are probably, like I said, doing um, different different things to focus on it and try and keep it from re-injuring than if they had never gotten an injury in the first place. So I think that's really important to think about when we're returning a dog from injury is that it's, you shouldn't say, oh, like I said, oh, it's been eight, eight weeks, everything's healed. I don't have to worry about this again. I think I, I, you should always be, somewhat concerned about it and and know about it and keep your eye on it um I think we get this idea that you know an agility dog should never ever show any pain or lameness um and that's just again I don't think that's an appropriate expectation I think there are going to be sure. um, issues especially if the dog has already had an injury um, the other thing too is we we have to know that um, if the injury had anything to do with the joint we've set them up for degenerative joint disease and arthritis which potentially will um, cause more obvious signs of uh, stiffness and lameness mm. and soreness but you know it's kind of up to you of whether you know you see that and you say okay I don't I don't want to do this or um, you say okay well the dog warms out of it I know how to manage arthritis I know how to manage degenerative joint disease um, I still think I can play this game okay um Another thing that a lot of people were asking on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, which I think ties into this topic really, really nicely, is that one person said, can you just talk about Watson? So we're going to talk about Watson. But also, um, what can we do? Because you have a puppy, Watson. So that's who we'll talk about in a second. But can we be doing better raising puppies, starting young dogs, um, are we, and you know, again, maybe we don't have these answers, but can we extrapolate these answers from other fields, maybe human athlete training where, or horses or, you know, something that we have the information in, what can we do better? Are we setting dogs up for injury by starting them so young? You know, what, what can we be smarter about when it comes to puppies and training them for athletic sports? Yeah. Um, so again, I'm going to start this off with, do I have proof of anything? And the answer is no. Um, you know, just suspicions that, you know, pushing these dogs when they're growing and when their, um, body is changing. Yes, we may be setting them up for injury down the road or, um, you know, starting an injury, uh, as they're developing um it's it's one of those things where um you know we don't have a clear cut extrapolation from people 
um, and how they develop their sports. You know, people talk about, well, look at look at gymnasts and, you know, at really young ages, they're being pushed really hard in their sports before um, they're grown, you know, or mature. And I would say, well, that's true. And, and But look also at their average age of being the most competitive. It's, it's when they're very young. It's usually their teenage years. You know, they're the most, um, that's when they're going to be doing their best. And, you know, by the time they're in their early 20s, they're retired They've from their sports, yeah. their sport. So, you know, extrapolating that to dogs, it's like, yeah, you could push them to be awesome at 15 months, 18 months old and, you know, be at the top of their game. But also extrapolating from that, that probably means they're going to be retired somewhere between four or five years old. Um, and Which I'm just going to raise my hand and say that a, I've, I've witnessed it. Yeah, that's right? a scary thought. I mean, I hear people talk like that. They say, well, you know, all his relatives or all, all their, the competitors, um, high level competitors, you know, their dogs are retired by the time they're six or seven, or they've had a career ending injury by the time they're that old. So I'm going to push them when they're young. So I can, I can be at a top level, um, early on knowing that I may not have a long career with them. So you know, that's, that is one way to look at it. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm fairly competitive. I like to win. Um, but I'm also a little bit more interested in having a longer career. Um, so I, I do go a little bit slower. Um, I'm not pushing my dogs to be ready to compete at 15 months old or 18 months old. You know, maybe when they're about two years old, I might take them out and, and just, you know, do, um, a, a fun run, a jumpers or, or something to see what they're like in the competitive environment, but not really, um, necessarily expecting much. Um, you know, I, I wish I had a, a program, um, to follow of like, oh, this is what you should be doing, um, at this age to, to get, you know, the best from your puppy to, to best protect them for their sport or, um, you know, keep them from getting an injury, um, down the road. Um, I don't think we, I, I don't have an answer for that. You know, for me, it's all about teaching them body awareness, um, and, you know, understanding, of how to use their body properly um, so that when they are in the act of running as fast as they can and turning as tight as they can, it is second nature. They don't have to think about the the body already knows what to do. Um, mm. and, and so, I don't know, that's the best I, I feel like I can do for them. So... What's your plan for Watson? <laughs> well, tell us um, about him a little bit first. Okay, he's perfect. <laughs> he's cute, of course. Um, <laughs> yes, all of those things. He's a border collie. He's a border collie. He came from um, Japan. He came from Japan, which was um, a rehab connection that yes. you had. 
Because um, everybody wants to know how that transpired, and it's... It just... It, it was did. how the universe... <laughs> how the stars aligned yeah. sometimes. It wasn't because they don't make border collies in the States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just... Yeah, it just lined up that that's the way it worked out. And you guys, um, he's really, really lovely. Um, Such a nice puppy. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I you've had him know. for what? Two weeks? A week. Week and a half? A week. Literally a week. <laughs> and like a week and You've been out of days. town for four days. So <laughs> yeah. like you've known him for like what? Seven um, days. And so far I've seen you play. Play yeah. with toys. Play without toys. Play without toys. Walk um, around. Eat some food together. Yeah. I mean, I think people are... To me, I think often we're in this huge rush. Like we think there are things that only puppies can learn. And we think that those things are things like tug and clicker training. And in reality, there are things that puppies learn best and they have nothing to do with that stuff. Which is like, I'm brave. Yeah, I would say. And I trust my mommy. And it's I have fun with this human that... I'm going to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Um, I'd say right now, like, it's a lot about seeing the world. And, um, you know, here's the thing. Border collies are weird. And I don't want to. Look, I'm not the only one who says it. (laughs) (laughs) They're weird. Um, And, and, you know, so I need, I, I want him to be as stable as possible and, Part, that's what's important now, I think, of, of seeing things and knowing that they're okay. and um, Knowing that he can be strong and brave and that you've got his back. Yeah. Those are the um, important things. Yeah, so that's mostly what we've been doing. So. And integrating him into the household yeah. has been the other big um, project. There's, there's definitely been a lot of play. Um, he... It, Again, weirdly enough, everything I kind of ask him to do, he's 100% willing to do. So I haven't, I'm not too worried about teaching things because no, I feel I like it's going to come really he, fast. He seems to understand you already. Um, you know, I I did. Um, and he, English wasn't even his first language. English wasn't even his first language <laughs> and he got me right away. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just one day at work stuck a a fit bone on the ground and sat next to it and was like, okay, well, we'll do a little intro to fitness equipment again, mostly for body awareness. Um, you know, one of my big, um, fit form uh, building blocks is targeting, you know, being able to target the paws. And so I was like, okay, we're going to just do quick intro to this weird stuff that moves under your feet and you know front paw targets and literally I didn't even have to do anything and he, he immediately like, put his front feet yeah on immediately it. like got on it was like cool I just stand here and get food and I was kind and of, I think you know it kind it of makes sad that I wasn't that gonna get to film a session <laughs> or like, teaching oh, him he that the equipment's okay <laughs> he already knew um, it was okay <laughs> so. Yeah. It just, um, it makes sense that so many people with Border Collie puppies his age 
have them doing outrageous things like walking on their front feet and you know stuff like that because they can and they will and that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the things that are best for them to know right now and I don't think that we know the answer but I think we what we do know at least from the behavioral side of things is um you know they don't learn I think there's this misconception that they learn resilience through problem solving and training they learn resilience through kind of being frustrated and clicker training and working through that that's to me a complete the complete wrong way to think about it as far as i'm concerned they should learn resilience through like i put all of your kibble in a puzzle ball figure out how to eat and first of all he'd rat it like he contra freeloader to the extreme hand him a bowl of food and he's like meh hand him a puzzle ball and he works on it until it's empty um and yeah just seeing stuff yeah seeing the world he's going to work with you a lot yeah um riding in the car a lot yeah I mean I to me I'm not gonna do anything extreme to his body at this age so I'm not you know going to necessarily shape him into like I said, doing anything extreme, I'm I'm going to shape body awareness. Um, but that to me is more targeting and, and moving and moving different parts, but not doing, you know, crazy. Walking on the front legs that are lateral stands are hard, like might be hard on his body while it's developing. Um, you know, we're also not doing any, um, I don't know how to explain it. So his, his exercise is kind of left up to him right now. So a lot yeah. of it is lots of freedom just to move his body in the backyard with, um, one or two other dogs. And, you know, he may go off exploring on his own, um, or he may choose to run around and, play with the other dog or chase them or you know things like that where it's it's yes he's getting exercise but I'm not saying okay we have to go walk a mile today um I'm not doing anything like that um is he jumping yep he is jumping on and off the deck he's jumping on the bed he's jumping on the couch <laughs> to your dismay Am I when you asking <laughs> him to do any kind of jumps no um if he decides to yeah jump over one of the dogs which then... he did and missed a little yeah, bit so but you know that's that's you know it's up to him up to him i'm not asking him for any kind of repetitive movement that's not taking more him for a jog on concrete on, yeah more force <laughs> on his body um and his exercise is primarily it's primarily just on our property so mm-hmm. it's off leash yep. and he's allowed freedom of movement he also just spent four days at a friend's who's got two fenced acres and a pond and he did a lot of running around and jumping in the pond and yeah i think those are important things for puppies to learn not so much crazy tricks tricks are fun i'm not saying don't train tricks but i am saying if you have only so many minutes in the day to do something with your puppy 
maybe go roll around in the grass <laughs> with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do, we do a lot of that. So that's, again, my getting to know a puppy or a dog is a lot more spending one-on-one time with them of just interacting, not necessarily asking for something to get any kind of reinforcement from me. It's, it's. And how old do you think he will be when he does like do his first jump or learn weave poles or things like that? What are your thoughts on that? He'll probably be over a year old. I don't know like exactly, you know, some of it'll on the calendar. Some of it'll depend on, you know, what, what other stuff we've done, what I've had time for, um, you know, how our relationship is, but I wouldn't even plan on starting that before he's a year old. Um, you know, I've, I've thought like, um, potentially next fall starting some kind of foundation foundational agility stuff so not again this coming fall or next fall so he's four months old so in three months um i think it was like october maybe november (laughs) yeah so in a few months from now a few months from now yeah. Yes. Okay. That's what I was trying to get so, after. So I don't know. So when he's like seven I don't or eight even months know, of like, age, what month it is? I know. It's uh, fine. Yeah, I might start doing some like foundational agility stuff, which meaning like I don't know. You explain what I do. Like run through a tunnel and chase a toy. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, what people are doing with eight-week-old puppies. Like. Yeah. Run around a wing. Yeah. Wrap a wing and run away. Yeah. Chase, mostly chase games, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, we, we're we playing chase games already. Uh, you are, but, but with, not with some equipment, maybe some with puppy equipment safe equipment. Or um, sometimes not even with a toy. Not with a toy? Not with a toy. Crazy person. I know. All right. Well, I think with that little discussion on Watson, we'll wrap it up. Um, when you guys see this come out on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, be sure to post any more questions that you have. Um, always willing to talk some more with Leslie on the show if you guys want to hear her talk about anything else. Um, and be sure to shoot those questions over to us, have a discussion on the Facebook page, and we'll see you all next week. Stiggy, you want a cookie? Stiggy, you want a cookie? Meow. <laughs> Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training. Here we go. Here we go. You can't. I don't know what it was. I was waiting because you made a big noise with the table. So we have to start over when you do that. Hmm.